hi. It's good to be with you guys. As most of you know, uh, I'm now a dad. Dad, for, for seven months. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. My sweet, sweet little Sadie, my daughter. She's seven weeks old. She's over there. My beautiful wife is holding her. Sadie's seven weeks. And, um, I mean, she's basically off to college now. <laughs> Feels like she's grown up so much and she's changing. And I'm, I told the beach service this, and I'll tell you this too. I think she's going to Harvard. I do. You should see the way that she looks at those black and white photos. I mean, she is locked in. She's looking at, there's one with like four leaves on it, and she's going to be a botanist. Like, no, no. We're, we're again, we're not one of those families that are going to push our kids to Harvard. Like, that's, that's not us, right? We're not going to have their lives be taken over by everything. We're okay with MIT, right? <laughs> she can settle. Um, but we are um, just loving being parents. It's been really uh, sweet and special. It's a special time of life for us. And it really does feel like um, one of God's greatest gifts to me. It does. Being, you know, husband to Brittany and now father to Sadie, it is one of the sweetest gifts that God has given me. Um, and he, I mean, he's been faithful my whole life. We, we sang that in the song there. Um, but it is true. As I've been thinking back through my life, he has been faithful to me every single step of the way. And it really does feel like a special gift to have this now. And as with a lot of gifts, uh, responsibility comes with the gift. You know, if uh, I know um, some of you might give your kids a puppy and you say, here you go, it's now your responsibility. It's a great gift, comes with responsibility. And Brittany and I love the responsibility of raising Sadie to be, um, to be the woman that she's going to become. I mean, it really is. It hits you in a different way. Now, as a dad, is looking like I'm shaping her life, like shaping her into the woman that she's going to be and how she's going to perceive and think about God is in a large part how she relates to me. And that is a profound and, and joyful responsibility. And one of the things that, um, that Brittany and I have been doing often and in this process is we sing to Sadie often. And we sing to her for, for two reasons. Uh, the first is that it's just practical. Um, Sadie, every night, I love this, this sweet little gym, every night from about 9.30 to 11 p.m., like last night I was on the dot at 9.30, she goes, Mom, Dad, I want you to know I'm here, and I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm not going to tell you why, nothing like that, but I want you to know that I'm comfortable. Bill, you're three doors down, I want you to know that I'm uncomfortable. And so she, she, she cries for about an hour and a half. And, and so one of the things that we do to soothe her is, is we sing to her. I mean, parents have been doing this for forever, right? Lullabies exist for a reason. And so we sing to her. And one of the things that we sing to her is the doxology. And so we turn off all the lights. And she's here. She might be making some noises through the service, too. This is the first time she's heard her dad preach. So she's like, amen, amen. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so one of the things that we do is we, we sing to her. And she loves like, she loves being held in the weirdest positions, too. Like, her neck's always back and just, like, I mean, they're newborns. So we're holding her up against her chest, and I'm walking around. All the lights are off, and I hold her like this. Make sure I don't trip. So I hold her here, and my biceps have, this is the most they've worked out in a long time. And so I'm holding her, and I sing the doxology to her. I go, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly. 
Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And that didn't work, so I pulled out Frank Sinatra. <clears throat> L is for the... No, I won't do that one. <clears throat> but we use it in the practical sense of just soothing her. There's something about babies that they just like and enjoy uh, listening to the sound of their parents' voice, right? They love listening to singing. But the other reason that we enjoy singing to say, that we want to sing to say, is that we believe that music has this kind of profound or unique sense of shaping us and in, in who we are and who we become. That there's something about music that's uh, unique, I think, in helping us to become really the people, the men and women that, that we want say to become, that Brittany and I want to become. And I think we know this like intuitively, instinctually, but it's also confirmed in science. So Pfizer, and you might twitch hearing that because you know Pfizer is, we've we just gotten past this little, little miracle of a season here. And <clears throat> Pfizer released this article, they published it, it's a research article about the way that, um, that songs, that music affect us. And Pfizer has said that um, listening to or making music increases blood flow to brain regions that generate and control emotions. Something that we know intuitively, right? We know that we listen to a song and we feel emotions. But we have this physiological response. God's designed us to have this physiological response where we hear music, we hear something, and blood goes to the parts of our brain that help us generate and control our emotions. So we have better access to emotions when we are listening to music and music definitely makes us feel emotions. I mean, you go to a Taylor Swift concert, it's, mm. yeah, Taylor, right? We love it, we've seen it. That's how I dance at Taylor Swift, anyone else? No? But we know, I mean, it's not always happy to. I mean, I mean, as a dad too, I, I listen to the cats in the cradle again, right? Cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue at the man in the moon. When he coming home that I don't know when. We'll get together then, son. And know we'll have a good time then. Oh, I know. That's going to make me cry now, right? It's like you don't want to miss the sweet moments of, of being with Sadie. And if I was just to think about that itself, I mean, that would probably make me cry. But the music has this special capacity to take us to that, that kind of emotional state or place of being that just doesn't tend to happen otherwise. And so... Uh, the, the article, Pfizer, again, continues to say the limbic system, I don't know what that is, so don't ask me. Someone might. The limbic system sounds like a Harry Potter spell to me. Uh, it's involved in the process of, uh, uh, sorry, the limbic system, which is involved in processing emotions and controlling memory, lights up when our ears perceive music. So you've all had this happen to you. I'm sure you have. You hear the first few notes of your favorite song, and then you're just like immediately starting to feel more happy, right? The centers of your brain that help control memory and emotion are being activated, right? So you might be brought back to this memory that you had as a kid when you were kind of listening to, you know, uh, who did you guys listen to? Elton John, maybe? Dolly Parton? <laughs> what do you guys listen to? Beatles? Queen? Right? Bohemian Rhapsody comes on, and you're jamming again. 
So what, what happens, though, what this article is saying is, like, we are being trained just like Pavlov's dogs. We are classically conditioning ourselves in a sense that once we hear this music, our brain's starting to send or create dopamine, the, the uh, you know, sensation of pleasure that comes to us at the start of the song, right? And it helps also with memory. I mean, music and memory to me is, is fascinating, right? It's like you haven't heard a song in years, but as soon as you hear the first like few words, it all starts kind of flowing back to you. And you're like, I can't believe I remembered that. So it plays kind of both ways, right? It helps you remember the song music does because you're using more senses in it, but it also helps you kind of establish a connection in the past uh, that's being brought to the forefront. Does this make sense? You guys following? So music plays this really unique role in helping us uh, generate control emotions and remember things. And it's, again, this is something that we know intuitively. It's nothing new. This is something that's been around, been through people through generations. You can see almost every single culture has music at the center of it. Music, dancing, we have these things at the center of who we are. And it's something that Plato to recognize. And Plato, 2,500 years ago, was seeing this same thing. He says, from Plato, music is able to bypass reason and penetrate into the very core of the self, causing great impact on the character. Because more than anything else, rhythm and harmony find their way into the inmost soul and take strongest hold upon it. Coming from Plato, music is able to bypass reason, get to the innermost part of our soul, and affect our character. Fascinating. From Plato. In fact, Plato, I think, believed this so much, he's quoted to say, let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. Let me make the songs of a nation, and I care not who makes its laws. He believes more impactful are the songs that we sing than the laws that govern the society. That's interesting. More impactful are the songs that we sing than the laws that govern our society. And we know this. I'm sure we have some uh, parents of middle school students in the room. You know that when they come to you with the songs that you don't want them to listen to, and they say, Mom, Dad, it's not affecting me. Like, it's not. I mean, we've, we've, I've lived it. My first, uh, it was um, T.I. Anyone know who T.I. is? That was my first non-Christian song that I liked, and my parents listened to it, and they went, nope, mm-mm. Right? Because parents know and we know that songs do affect us. They shape us into the person or people that we are becoming. So it's really, I guess, influential over our lives. And I think God has designed it this way. I think God was, in fact, very intentional in designing us to respond to music this way. I mean, for one, I think we have a, a singing God, a God who sings. I mean, you know, at least Jesus on earth, when he was here with us, he sang. He did. On the night that he was betrayed before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, they write, he sang a hymn, and then they left. You know, I, I, I do. I wonder what Jesus sounded like. I'm sure he was better than me, but that doesn't take much. So, <laughs> But Jesus sang. And C.S. Lewis, in his um, wonderful series, The Chronicles of Narnia, you guys might be familiar with this, but... Uh, I think it's in The Magician's Nephew. Uh, he has Aslan, the god character, the, the lion. He has Aslan creating the world of Narnia by singing the world into being. 
Now, the Genesis account doesn't say that, but I think it's a helpful illustration of just the type, the character, the nature of who our God is. He is a God who creates these beautiful things, and you can imagine this beautiful song coming forth. I think so influential in this that singing was at the core and is at the core of the life of the people of God. The Hebrews, the Israelites, right at the core is the Psalms, is the Psalter. The Psalter played a central role in the life of the Hebrews, of the Israelites. It did. And singing, they'd sing often, sing these Psalms often because songs and music shape us. I think God had helpfully guided the Israelites and the people into this spot. So this is the main point. Uh, and I'm going to articulate this a little bit further, and then we're going to have time to practice this. But the main point is this. We want to be, or we need to be, a people who are shaped by the Psalter. Because music shapes us, and because this is the music of God's people, we want to need to be shaped by these songs. It will help us bring our emotions, our lives, all of our experiences, our full selves to God in a way that's intended. So what I want to do real quick is I want to explain to you just kind of the Psalter, what it is. Uh, Then I want to look at some of the ways that the Psalter was used in the life of the Israelites. And then I want to look at the life of Jesus in particular and how he used the Psalms. And then we're going to practice. So the Psalter is this anthology, right? It's 150 of these beautiful poems and songs, and boy, are they beautiful. They really are. They're gorgeous. They're like, as pieces of literature, they're expertly crafted. Every single word in Hebrew literature and poetry and songs, it's placed there with intention. No word is wasted. Everything that they say, the images that they use, we believe that's God-inspired and profitable to us, but it's also artfully crafted. They're beautiful. And so the Psalms is this collection of these beautiful poems and songs, and it starts off, Psalm 1, with this, blessed is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. It starts off the Psalms. Our, our response back to God, the Psalms are often depicted as this is what we say back to God, our prayers back to God, and it starts with this. Blessed is the one. Blessed, fortunate. It's like heaven saying right on to you. Blessed is he, blessed is she, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it they meditate day and night. Meditating on these words that are going to come is going to shape us. As then the psalm brings up this metaphor, shapes us into being like a tree, a strong tree that's planted by a stream of water. Right from the start, the psalms start us off on this trajectory. If you want to have a firm foundation, you need to be people who meditate on the law of the Lord. And off we go. Off we go into this beautiful collection. And the collection is composed of many different types of literature, many different types of genres, right? It's not just praise. It's so many things. 
and it's so many things, I think, with a good intention because it covers the scope of human experience and human emotion, right? We wouldn't be happy if it was just a book with only one emotion and we only went if we had that emotion to use that. But the Psalm cover, covers the scope of that. Uh, Redeemer Church, Tim, Tim Keller's church, Tim Keller, amazing man. Redeemer Church uh, published um, a little, a little bit on using the Psalms and praying the Psalms, and they articulated seven different themes of the Psalms, and I want to go through those quickly with you. The first theme is that of lament. Lament. That's roughly one-third of the Psalms in this book, so that's about 50, are songs of lament. Well, that's important, isn't it? Guys, life is full of suffering. I mean, we, we know that while there's been a lot of sickness in our congregation recently, and there's a lot of pain in our lives, we know that. And Sadie knows that. <laughs> She's uncomfortable. Um, life is full of suffering, and we need the right words to come to God with that. And the Psalms give us those words. How long, O oh Lord, will you leave me forever? How long will I suffer? Why, God, is this happening? And on it goes. We need these songs of lament, one-third. The next thing they pointed out was thanksgiving and gratitude. This is seeing God respond to a particular situation and then us responding in praise to God because of how he's acted. So it would be like a song form of, of Dennis uh, receiving his health again in that process, right? So it's, God, I've been hurting all day long. My head hurts, and you've saved me, and I'm praising you for saving me. I can trust in you. So there's songs like that, right? We see consistently God answer prayers. God works in our lives, and we have songs to guide us in that. The next is hymns of praise, where we're just overwhelmed by the majesty, the beauty, the creator over all who is all, and there's no one like him, and we praise him for that. The Psalms, this book ends with five songs just like this, this magical crescendo of praise. That's how it ends. It starts there with meditation, and it ends just with this glorious praise. The next is Psalms of Salvation History, meaning Psalms of Remembrance, remembering what God has done, because we so often forget, right? Oh, I do. I get so caught up in the moment, so caught up in what's present, and I need to remember and remind myself of who God is, what he's done, and his character. Psalm 136 is an excellent example of this. It alternates one line is how God has acted in history, and the next line is, uh, so grace his steadfast love toward us, his chesed, his covenantal love, his commitment to us. Man, I need that psalm. Next is psalms of affirmation of praising God for his qualities. Then the next theme is psalms of wisdom, and the next is psalms of faith and trust. On it goes, right? So the point of this is saying that the psalms can carry the scope of our human experiences and emotions. There's nothing that's outside of what you're experiencing that can't be guided and directed by the Psalms. So how were they used? I've highlighted a few. One is that they're used in worship gatherings. So just like we, every single week, we gather and we sing songs, and I heard all your beautiful voices this morning, so did the Israelites. When they gathered in worship, whether that was in the synagogues or whether that was going to the temple, they would often sing, right? And they would sing songs of some of these psalms in those times because we believe collectively that when we sing together, it helps form us into the people that we are. 
That's why we sing. We sing here because it helps shape us. And this is one of the ways that, um, one of the helpful ways that I've been affected by the Psalms personally. There's one Psalm, Psalm 103, that starts with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And it goes on. And this word at the start, bless the Lord, it's this command, right? The author is saying, soul, it's time to bless the Lord. And it goes on to this kind of beautiful, it remembers what God has done. It speaks of his majesty. It speaks about humans and how we are like the flowers of the field, and surely we're going to fade as well. But the love of God stands forever, and his kingdom is over all, and all the heavenly beings are praising him. And it ends again, bless the Lord, O my soul. I need that psalm sometimes when I come to church. There's times when I come, I know I'm a pastor and I should always be ready, right? But sometimes, being honest, I come to church, I'm tired, there's stuff going on, I have so many things in my head, I need to pause. And I use the psalm again, I say, bless the Lord, oh my soul. I command my soul, I say, Lord, it's time. Bless the Lord, my soul. So, <clears throat> collectively, we gather together singing songs because it shapes who we are. Uh, the next is the psalms were used in times of personal prayer. I believe that uh, people, well, I think there's there's sometimes personal prayer. The early church gathered for prayer all the time. Three times a day we know that they prayed. That's why when you see like all these kind of gatherings that are happening in the New Testament as you're reading through Acts, like they had regular rhythms of meeting together all the time. And we see in Acts 2, they gathered together for um, the apostles' teaching and for I can't remember right now. It would be a lot better if I remember that, a lot cooler. <clears throat> but for the breaking of bread and for prayer. It's like they had these, the point is they had these regular gatherings of coming together to pray, to worship. And that was a regular part of their lives and rhythms. And they used the Psalms in those points. I imagine, again, that Jesus sang a psalm before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. One of those hymns that he sang was indeed a psalm. And we also know that they sang these psalms when they were walking up to Jerusalem, called the Songs of Ascent. There's a collection of, I think it's 14 songs. It's towards the end. I think it's like 130 to 144, around there. And it's these songs that they sing as a caravan together up to Jerusalem. So everyone together went to Jerusalem at least once a year, most likely three times a year. And so you would gather your whole village, everyone together would load up the cars, load up the wagons, Put the stuff on the donkeys and you're heading up to Jerusalem. And as they're taking that trek, which could take a week or longer, they would be singing these songs as they're going up. And these songs would be a way of reminder, of remembrance, of saying who God is. It would help lead them spiritually, emotionally to be in the place that when they got to Jerusalem, to this place of worship, to offer their sacrifices, etc., they'd be more the people that I guess, just more ready to be in the place of being in the presence of the Holy God. It's beautiful. The Israelites use the Psalms all the time. Now let's look to Jesus. Jesus was so saturated with the Psalters. He quoted this book or this collection more than any other single book in the Bible. He quotes the Psalms more than anything else all the time. In response to the Pharisees, he quoted it when he was coming out of the water, being baptized, he quoted it. 
And when he was articulating who he was as the cornerstone, he was quoting a psalm, quote Psalm 110. And I think most impactfully is when we see Jesus on the cross. I mean, Jesus hanging on a cross, arms stretched wide, the farthest he's ever felt from God, the weight of sin of the world is on his shoulders. And what does he use? What are his words? Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, what comes from his lips is a psalm. He is, he is being guided by, saturated with this psalter that comes out in those moments. So here's the point. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us, okay? Or more eloquently, if we want to be shaped into the image of who Jesus Christ is, we must also be saturated in the Psalms. We must. Now, I know it's hard. I know the Psalms are sometimes hard to understand. I know it's really easy to also read them quickly and just to attach to one verse or line that makes the most sense. But what I want to invite us into, and what we're going to practice in a second, is to dive into the Psalms. And it takes time. It takes time to sit with the song. Have you ever noticed that when you sing a song, it takes a lot longer than to just say something? I mean, we all know this. It takes longer to sing than to just speak. If I was going to sing this whole sermon, you guys would all leave. Um, <clears throat> but also, it would take like three times as long, right? And I think there's something intentional about slowing down, about sitting with the words, about sitting with the poetry, about letting the music come over us. And it's also a little bit harder for us because we don't sing Hebrew. Um, I don't know how to sing in Hebrew, so it's harder. It's harder for us to come to a translation of a song and sit with it. It is. So we have a couple barriers that we're up against in doing this, but I think it's essential that we get better at it and that we integrate into it. And so what we're going to do now, um, what I'm going to invite us into is to actually practice this. So I'm going to invite us to step into and pray with a psalm. And we're, we're living in the 21st century, guys. You're going to pull out your phones and scan the QR code. I know, it's great. And uh, when you scan the QR code, it's going to take you to a PDF. And the PDF on there is a few psalms. There's Psalm 6, Psalm 23, and Psalm 32. And we're going to take 10 minutes, um, and we're going to pray one of these psalms. And I've broken them up into kind of each little section or stanza. You're going to pray something else to, to guide you through it. And then at the bottom here, um, at the bottom of that PDF, there's some, some tips and tricks on Hebrew poetry. Um, but we believe that, uh, that prayer and that these spiritual disciplines is best learned through practice. It's something that's best learned not through me just talking about it for a long time, but for you actually engaging in it. Um, so for, for example, I just got into golf because I came to dad and I feel like that's the prerequisite, right? Gotta, gotta be into golf here, dad. No. All right. So I'm into golf and I can watch all the YouTube videos I want, but unless I actually get out there and swing the club, it's going to make no difference. It's, it feels so awkward. I feel so clunky when I swing it, swing the club, mostly because I can't stretch that far, but Unless I practice with it, it's going to make no difference. This is the same thing in our spiritual lives. Unless we actually engage in prayer, engage in using the Psalms, 
Um, this is where we're going to learn best. Um, so what we're going to do is I'm going to give us 10 minutes, and we're going to play a little bit of music. Um, and it's going to feel like a long time. This is a, a practice that I've already done with our junior high and high school students, and they made it 10 minutes, so I believe in us. Um, but we're going to invite you into this to pray one of the psalms. Psalm 6 is a prayer of, of lament. It's saying, God, where are you? I feel like you're so far away. Um, so if you feel like you're in that spot, you can pray that psalm. Psalm 23 is one that you might be well familiar with. It's the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and on it goes. It's a psalm of, of really just remembering who the Lord is, of his guidance and provision for us and his goodness and mercy. And then finally, Psalm 32, and this is a psalm of um, confession and how we feel when we don't confess. And so if you feel like you need a, to confess some things to God, that's a good psalm to guide you into that. So we're going to take um, probably five, ten minutes in that range. Um, so yeah, the time is yours. We'll play some music. I'll come back up and listen to communion.
I hope that was um, profitable to you, um, that the Lord spoke to you in that. I'm going to have the worship team um, come back up now as we get ready for communion and then respond in song. Um, I think it's um, really helpful for us in our spiritual formation to be shaped by singing, by sitting with these songs and by poetry. Um, I, I think our, our primary kind of methodology for change for ourselves and for spiritual growth and formation often happens solely through knowledge acquisition. As in, if we're, if we're thinking about, okay, I want to change, I want to get better, often our, our thought is, I need to read a new book. I'm going to go listen to the new podcast. I'm going to go find another preacher that I love to listen to. And so, right, the more that we kind of hear this knowledge acquisition, the more more information we gain, that's going to produce a change in us. And I think that's, that's true in part. I just think it's incomplete. I think we need these moments of, of song, of prayer, of sitting that really help to actually shape us into more full humans. And alongside that, we need to actually practice and engage in things. And one of the central things in changing us is indeed taking communion together. I believe this is a spiritual practice that is incredibly formative into the people that we are becoming, which is why it plays a central role in our services and why we take it every single week, is that by taking this every week, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us, remembering the place of sacrifice, of sacrificial love that he has for us and that we get to embody as we become more like him. So um, it's, it's really, it's, powerful yeah I'm every week just I think amazed by the deep love that Jesus has for us so on the night that um, Jesus was betrayed he was with his friends his disciples and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to each of his disciples and said take and eat this is my body, which is given for you. And in a similar manner, he took the cup of wine and he passed it to his disciples and said, take and drink. This is my blood, which is shed for you. The blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. You may partake. we continue to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me? I just have to share. Talk about evoking emotion with a song. That first song that we listened to was the song that opened up our wedding ceremony. And just Peter and I were both like teary-eyed totally bringing that moment back and and what's funny is the lyrics to it are um let my heart want nothing but you jesus and what like i'm just realizing now man we we like set our covenant marriage upon the foundation of i'm marrying the man that i want to spend the rest of my life with and also let my heart want for nothing but you jesus it's really powerful so 
Lord, I just pray that would be in all of our hearts as we end this service, God. None but Jesus. That we would build our entire life and foundation on you. Would you quiet our hearts? Would you still our minds? May we focus on the love and the truth of Christ and what you've done.
to live for you, to feel your presence, to worship you. So God, we love you and we thank you for this morning. May we meditate on the love that you have for us. We love you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you guys next week. Bless you all.